Before I start formally with the sermon, um, one of the, the struggles that we've had on the preaching team is that Acts is so rich, we could, trust me, preach it for a year and just still not get to the end of it. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I hope and pray that you're picking up as we've gone through our Holy Spirit sermon series and the Acts sermon series is that um, we, we've kind of missed it a little bit in the Western church in that we do things like this. Um, time uh, you know, goes forward in the church, we progress, you know, things develop, and we end up at places that we're not meant to end up at. And one of those, when it comes to the church, is that one of the things that happened kind of coming out of the 70s and 80s is that there really became two sides of the church. Um, the traditional church and more the charismatic church. I really hope you're seeing in the book of Acts that there is a, another place for us to be that is neither one of those. It's just called Christian. Um, walking underneath the Word of God, filled with the Spirit of God, on mission with Jesus. It is a much better place for the church to be. And every week I pray that that just sort of resonates with you, that together we are the people of God, and that some of those labels do not do justice to the majesty and the glory, the wonder of God and our high calling. So um, having said that, <clears throat> we are going to rejoin Paul now. Um, and, and as we, we take a look at his life today, because there's a big shift, all right? Donnie walked us through the three missionary journeys. Well, things are about to change for Paul. But before we get there, a common question that a lot of people have about the Apostle Paul that rarely gets addressed is this. How does he do it? Um, how does Paul burn so brightly for Jesus from that time that he is saved all the way to the end of his life? I mean, it's a pretty good span of time here. How does he keep that fire burning? How does he do it? And I would just like to suggest this, that from the time Paul is saved uh, up through Acts 20, it's, it's pretty obvious how he does it. Um, Paul has an epic run in ministry for about 27 years. Uh, it kicks off when Paul not only uh, gets saved on the Damascus Road, but the risen Lord Jesus himself shows up and leads Paul to himself, to Christ. And then Jesus calls him into ministry, and Jesus really commissions him. That, that, that's enough to get your fire going, okay? Um, well, then from there, Paul goes on to be wildly successful in ministry. Now, sure, there are a few hard moments, right? There are a few bumps and, you know, road, speed bumps along the way, obstacles and all that. But Paul does, for the most part. It, it, it's like, you know, the murderer's row, the Yankees, you know, way back when. Every time he steps up to the plate, it's success. He hits it out of the park in missions. Um, he hits it out of the park in church planting, raising up leaders, spreading the gospel uh, to the Jews and to the Gentiles. So he is reaching the masses. And then Paul goes on to become one of the three key leaders, not just in his church, in the Christian faith. I mean, it is Paul, it's Peter, and it's James. So if you stop there, it's a no-brainer. Um, who would not be on fire for Christ if this was your experience with Christ and for Christ? 
But see, what's going to happen today is we're going to take that turn with Paul, and as you're going to see this week and the weeks that follow after Easter, um, everything by our standards is going to fall apart for Paul. Everything is going to go wrong for Paul for the rest of his life. What you're going to see in these last seven chapters is that, that Paul is, um, he, he is going to be uh, accused, maligned, arrested, prosecuted. Uh, he's he's going to be beaten, um, you know, big trials, actually five trials. And all that's going to end with after a shipwreck with, with Paul being martyred for Jesus Christ. So again, how does the man do it? I mean, think about when you have been discouraged in your life. Kind of changes your mood, but Paul just keeps on going. So we really want to know how he does it. How does he not waver? How does he burn? You're going to see this even brighter for Jesus in the last seven chapters. Big question. And I'm going to go ahead and wreck my sermon and give you a spoiler alert. You know how Paul does it? He has a kingdom mindset. That's how he does it. All right, y'all, this, this one could bless you today if you hear it. Paul has a kingdom mindset. Now, here's what I mean by kingdom mindset. He has a heavenly perspective. He sees life from God's point of view. Paul, okay, and, and this is going to come up again and again, how Paul sees life is from 10,000 feet instead of how we so often do it, from two inches. Paul, Paul sees like that. He comes to view his life and times through a biblical lens, and it changes everything. Let me give you an example of, of a kingdom mindset, okay? Actually, I'm going to steal from Donnie. Uh, he's not here this week. Don't anybody tell him I did this, all right? So Donnie gave us an incredible example last week that points to a kingdom mindset. We're going to pull this up. So behold, once again, the temple of Artemis or Diana in 550 BC, okay? There it is, first slide. Behold the temple of Artemis in 2023. Little difference there, right? Um, in 550 BC, the temple of Artemis was at the height of its power and glory. It was, and Donnie left this out, okay, so credit to me, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. That temple spoke to Roman power, Roman dominance, and Roman permanence. Yet 2,600 years later, you know what it is? What does it remind you of? Anybody go hiking? A cairn, right? You, you would see that, that pile of rocks on any hike in Colorado, right? That's all that's left. And so what, what happens here is these two images draw us into a kingdom mindset about the kingdoms of the world. All right, here it is. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. There has never been an exception historically. This is how it is with the powers that be on this earth. I mean, it just ultimately, uh, uh, Revelation 11.5 applies to every kingdom of this earth. Revelation 11.5 says, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and King, and He will reign forever. That's a kingdom mindset. And folks, it changes the way we see things down here. You know? I mean, think about it, right? Let's compare real quick an earthly mindset and, uh, and a kingdom uh, mindset. Okay, uh, sometimes in our world, uh, things get a little troubling, right? You know, headlines get a little gloomy. 
People start kind of going sideways, kind of bonkers. You know, there's rumors or, or rumors of war or war happens. An earthly mindset does this. They see that headline, they get that news feed, and it's, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. We're all doomed. Or the government is out to get us. It's all a trap, right? That's an earthly mindset. You know what a kingdom mindset says? A kingdom mindset says absolutely not. The earth is the Lord's and all who live in it, all, all that it contains. Our times are in his hands. Every enemy of God is a future rock pile. That's a kingdom mindset. So we're going to join the Apostle Paul this morning as uh, he makes the gut-wrenching move from epic ministry to epic persecution. And somehow he maintains a kingdom mindset. Again, here's what's coming. Um, angry mobs, accusations, arrest, prosecution, assault, multiple assaults, shipwrecked, and it all ends with uh, a martyr's death. I think we need to pray before we start this. All right, let's do that. God, we love you, and we thank you that there has never been a moment in the history of this world when you have not reigned perfectly, wonderfully, beautifully, um, God, every time there, there has been a ripple, a rupture, uh, uh, something that really shakes us up, your track record is perfect in your deliverance and your salvation. Even in the bleakest of times, you offer us life and life to the full. And so we thank you, God, for just the ability today to make a shift if we need to and to see life through your lens in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to pick up, I'll touch on Acts 20 here real quick and uh, pick up where Donnie left off last week. Um, Paul in, in Acts 20 um, is leaving, all right? He, uh, he says goodbye to the, the leaders of the Ephesian church, and uh, he sets off now for Jerusalem. Um, he leaves, even though the Holy Spirit has been telling Paul, uh, mostly to himself, but through others, that there is big trouble ahead in Jerusalem. Nevertheless, Paul goes. And so Acts 21 opens with um, Paul traveling through a, a lot of cities to make his way to Jerusalem. He goes through Cyprus and Tyre and Caesarea. And, and everywhere he goes, he runs into Christians and they're all saying the same thing. Paul, turn around and go in the other direction. Paul, let's not finish this trip. Um, Paul, you got to have something else to do besides finish this thing. And it even gets really dramatic in verses 10 through 13 as a prophet named Agabus comes, and I'll read this to you. It says, Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt. All right, so has Paul undo his belt, hand it over. He, he took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in the same way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand, it hand him over to the Gentiles. How ominous is that? Can you, can you imagine being a part of that crowd when this is happening? Uh, Luke writes, when we heard this, we and the people pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? And here it is, verses 13 and 14, the kingdom mindset. I am ready not only to be bound, says Paul, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. 
The Lord's will be done. And see, Paul, Paul here understands, again, this is the bigger picture. What is the bigger picture? God has a plan. God has always had a plan. That plan is perfect. God has always provided for his plan. God has called me. There's no mistake about it. Uh, we, we just know here in this moment that Paul truly gets Romans 8.28, which says, In all things... God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Now, why might Paul know that verse? He wrote it, right? Paul, that's Romans 8.20. Paul wrote this, so Paul has a thorough understanding of this. So this is his mindset, okay? And um, so, so anyway, Paul goes on. He arrives in Jerusalem, and suddenly we have a very interesting situation. Um, Paul goes into Jerusalem, and he goes and he meets up with James. Now, just so you know, Paul is unofficially the leader of the Gentile church. So all these non-Jewish people, Paul is their leader. He goes to see James, who is kind of unofficially, maybe more officially. He's the leader of the Jewish Christians. So these guys come together. Now, we hear that, and we think, uh-oh, church split. They've already broken into two denominations. Absolutely not. Nothing could be further from the truth. This is one church coming together. And, and we know that because here Paul and James come together and they share ministry reports, okay? So Paul says, man, James, uh, you would not believe how God is moving among the Gentiles. People are getting saved. People are being raised up in Jesus. I mean, it's a real movement of God in Christ among the Gentiles. James does the same. Wow, Paul, that's wonderful. God is moving here among the Jews. And they're not trying to outdo each other because at the end of that verse, it said, at, at the conclusion of their reports, they rejoice together. They're thrilled with how God is moving through, through the church all over the place. And everything now, it, at this point, it's more positive and encouraging than Caleb, Okay. This is really good until James drops a little bombshell in verse 21 and says, by the way, Paul, you should probably know now that you're here in Jerusalem, um, the, the, the Jews here in this city who are uh, you know, still living uh, uh, passionate about the Old Testament law, they've been informed of something. They've been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, uh, not to circumcise their sons or live according to our customs. Just so you know, there, there's a little word uh, for, uh, for reports that circulate about, uh, about people among groups when the people aren't there. Um, starts with a G and it ends with an ossip, okay? Um, and uh, we all know this is gossip, right? I mean, this church knows that this report is, is pure baloney because we, week by week, we've been journeying with Paul. We've seen Paul in action. There hasn't been a moment when that report is true. Now, there has been something Paul, that Paul has been doing among the Jews. They're, they're coming into the faith, right? Old Testament Ju uh, Judaism. They're coming into the faith. Their whole lives have been Jewish custom. So they bring that into Christianity, right? Well, Paul comes along, and, and what he does is he corrects them a little bit. 
um, Paul comes and he helps balance out their faith. And what Paul has not said, there's never been a moment he said, it's wrong for you guys to read the Old Testament. It, it is wrong for you to, to, you know, to observe Sabbath and your festivals. Paul has not said that. But what Paul has said to them very clearly is it is wrong to substitute your traditions for Christ. It is wrong to lift your traditions above Christ. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. So there has been that corrective. But the bottom line is this is pure gossip. And Paul at this point has got a right. You know what he's got a right to do? Paul has got a right to be angry, right? How dare they talk that garbage about me? How dare they make that stuff up? This is crazy. Paul should get mad. He should get offended at this point. Paul ought to power up. Paul might even ought to walk away. But look at what Paul does. For the sake of unity in the church, for the sake of, re of reaching these people who are yakking it up against him, for the sake of them, Paul goes on to observe a Jewish purification ritual, kind of a, a Nazarite vow. So to show love for God's word and, and a respect for their tradition and a real love for them, Paul undergoes this, this ritual act of cleansing. And folks, that is a kingdom mindset right there. You know, when, when everybody even says, oh, you ought to be, oh, let, well, let me tell, when, when you have that kind of right to instead humble yourself and respond with the kindness and the love of God. This is so beautiful. And I'll tell you, it really speaks to, to the American church. In fact, I would say this for the U.S. church. How strong would we be if we demonstrated this kind of love and unity for one another across the board? You know, even when one church is different than another, it'd, it'd be pretty powerful. I, I can think of, and I won't go into detail, or I'd be guilty of the very same thing, um, but I, I can think of ministries, probably so can you, where, you know, maybe, maybe the pastor's got a lot of talent, and boy, he can preach, but he, he makes his name or builds his ministry on taking shots at other denominations. Anybody he sees as a, as a competitor. Anybody who doesn't agree with every single point of theology. Well, I tell you, that is not the way of Jesus. And Paul does not, he's got every right and he, and he will not take that bait here. So anyway, the, the time of uh, Paul's cleansing ends now. And uh, he goes into the temple and he is, he is seen, right? It's a public moment. Paul is spotted by some of those Jews um, who have obviously been privy to, to this gossip. And in verse 27 and 28, they stir up a crowd and they seize Paul. And listen to the spirit of this, okay? It's very important to catch the tone. They have Paul, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man, all right? Now here's a great start, right? This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, against the law, and against this place. And he's even brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. Can y'all just hear the spirit of that? You know, anytime you hear everyone, everywhere, you can pretty much dismiss it. But, but verse 29, we don't even have to speculate or guess. Because verse 29 says it is all based on assumptions. It's just not a grain of truth. Well, maybe a, a speck of truth in some of it. But this has really been twisted. And here's what that leads to now in verses 30 through 32. The whole city was aroused. 
People came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. They stopped beating Paul. Y'all, this thing has gone violent. But do, do you see this? Just, just the fury, the, the violence, the mayhem, the destruction caused by words, idle gossip and assumption. And so now Paul, is, he's arrested, he's cuffed. The people go into either even a bigger frenzy, and it gets so out of control, don't miss it, that the soldiers have to pick Paul up over their heads and carry him out of there. This thing has just gone bonkers. And once again, at this moment, Paul is moved into action, not, not out of fear, not out of, you know, everything that's happened, but he's moved to action now out of a kingdom mindset. And he turns to the Roman commander and he says, hey, can I have a moment with the people? Can I speak to the crowd? And I can just see the look on the commander's face as he goes, well, sure, have at it, I guess. You know, I mean, in, in a sense, what does he care? And then Paul gets up. And for the next sense, what does he care? And then Paul gets up. And for the next 20 verses in Acts 22, you know what he does? He shares the story of Jesus Christ. He shares his testimony, the power, the love, the work of Christ in his life. Paul, Paul starts by identifying with them, saying, look, I, I, I share your culture. I'm actually one of you. I grew up the, the way you grew up. So, so I share your culture. I, I've shared your religion. I once even shared your anger, your confusion over Jesus and his followers. Like you, I've been sick of this Gentile world for a long time as well. And, um, and, and then he says, until Jesus Christ revealed himself to me as the Messiah that we've all been waiting for. And there's a sense here, there's a little kind of pause in the text, and it seems like maybe people are actually hearing Paul. You know, but perhaps they're considering what he has to say. And you might wonder, well, how is what Paul did, how is this a kingdom mindset? Well, the bottom line is, here in this moment, Paul refuses to shrink back into fear. Paul sticks with the assignment Jesus has given him until the very end. To, to quote Colleen, uh, y'all know Colleen? Uh, Colleen, where, where's Colleen? To quote Colleen, what Paul is saying, look, he's just saying, look, Jesus has a plan and I am sticking with that plan. That's what Paul is doing in this moment. And everyone seems to be tuned in. Everyone seems to be tracking with Paul. I can see people in the crowd even going, wow. Maybe I ought to rethink this Jesus thing. And then Paul says this. He says, the Lord, uh, uh, the Lord said to me, go and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And that's all the crowd needs to hear. It's as if they, they snap back from consideration to, hey, wait a minute, Gentiles. Did he say Gentiles? Rid the earth of this man. He's not fit to live. And so once again, the Romans take Paul off. And they're a little concerned, they're a little confused at this point, so they decide, well, here's what we'll do. We'll whip him, we'll flog him, and then we'll interrogate him. We've got to find out what in the world he has done to incite this kind of an issue. And so just as Paul is about to be whipped, once again, he speaks 
from a kingdom mindset. And, and, and right here in verse 25, and he says, real quick, before we start this, let me ask you a question. Is it legal for you guys to, uh, to punish a Roman citizen who hasn't yet been found guilty? And you can see the Romans, they're like this, and they go, oh my gosh, drop the whip. What did you say? And they take a moment to discern if this is true, and the interrogation at that moment is over, because back then, in, in the Roman world, the Roman Empire, it was illegal to, to make any move against a Roman citizen uh, judicially, you know, legally, without due process. Now, you might wonder, okay, well, how is that a kingdom mindset? Well, here's how that's a kingdom mindset. And this is something Paul does all the way through. It is relying on the Holy Spirit to give you the words to say in a tough time. We have seen Paul do that time and time again. And so what's happened here is the whip is about to go and the Holy Spirit whip, uh, speaks into Paul's, Paul's uh, ear. Hey, real quick, pull out your diplomatic immunity card now. And so Paul does, and what he does is he enters into protective custody right there. Folks, that is a Solomon-esque kind of move. And I'll just say, I think Paul's pretty brilliant, but that, that, that's a heavenly move, right? That is a heavenly chess moment uh, move in this time. And so, so that's, a, that's a part of this is, is simply being led by the Spirit of God. Now, here's what I want to do with this, okay? I want to suggest this morning to all of us that we as Western Christians, we need to reclaim a kingdom mindset. We need to reclaim kingdom thinking. We need to recapture it. We need to embrace it in these last days we live in. You know, I'll tell you this. There have been times I have looked in the mirror, and there are times I've just looked out over the church over these past five years, may want to stretch it to 25 years, and some of what I have seen has not been very encouraging. You know, as, as you know, things kind of fall apart, or it feels like the wheels are coming off uh, off the car in society. Things have gotten tougher. By the way, not just for the church, but for everything. Everybody, things have gotten tougher. And, and, and what we've seen in the church, and it's just good to be honest about this stuff, right? So, so we can be the exception. But, but some of what we see is we see Christians freaking out, flipping out, in, in, in some, you know, running and hiding for cover, maybe walking away from the church. It's been a lot of that. We, we've also heard people who belong to Christ speak as if we have no hope and we have no future. You know, as, as if God is up in heaven and he's wringing his hands going, oh my goodness, how, how did this happen? Where did this headline come from? What do I do? My poor people. Oh, good luck down there. You know, there's been that kind of thing. Paul instead reminds us that spiritual battle is not just about the unseen world, you know, uh, demons and, and, and angels. You know, it's not just about people making moves against us. Spiritual battle also happens right here. It happens right between our ears. And so we've got to remember the simple lessons that we see here, and they're so beautiful, and these have been washing over my soul this week. First thing, we've got to remember that God not only has a plan, God has a perfect plan. God has a perfect plan. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah, man. And listen, that plan, it ends in victory, glory, goodness, 
majesty, a kingdom. And there is nothing that can happen down here that's going to change that. We need to remind us of, uh, mind ourselves of that, that God reigns over his kingdom forever. He is always enthroned, and we are his. We also need to know this about trials and tribulations, okay? Um, when a trial comes your way and a tribulation comes your way and you have a bad day and things seem to be falling apart, that is not a sign that you are not blessed. That, that's not a sign that you are out of God's favor. In fact, I'll say this. These are promised to us in Scripture. I, I've been looking all week for the verse that says, once you come to Christ, honey, it is, it is puppy dogs and rainbows and everything is sweet. And, whoo, I mean, you, just, you don't even have to walk anymore. You just get to float everywhere. It's not in Scripture. I'll tell you what is in Scripture from the mouth of Jesus, Paul, Peter, and James, is that we will face all kinds of things. That life's going to be tough. I mean, when Psalm 23 is talking about a valley of a shadow of death, it's because there is one here. Uh, we still live in a dark and a fallen world. In plain language, this is spoken to us as Christians. Uh, James 1, 2, and 4, I'll say this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, not if, but whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Oh, that is so good. That's so good. That doesn't happen without some of those trials and those testings in our lives as Christians. So in these last days, however long they last, let's remember that we are to be a kingdom people. We are kingdom people. We are to walk in love and act in humility towards people who act like enemies, maybe our enemies, toward us and toward God. Not just clinging to the gospel, but sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people all over the place, with our life, with our words, with our actions. And we are to be kingdom people always looking to God and asking for wisdom whenever we need it. Um, a quick survey. How many of you need wisdom often? Thank God I'm not the only one. All right. So this, this is a prayer that really ought to be on our lips. And by the way, just, just so you know what wisdom is, there are lots of people in this world who, who have a whole lot of information. They're very intellectual. Uh, that's not wisdom. You know what wisdom is? It is knowing from heaven how to move through a situation how to respond. It's, it's that whisper of the Spirit, move to the right, move to the left. This is the way, walk in it. Only Christians have that. And so we want to be asking God, you know, there are 50 different things you could do in any one situation. Lord, what's your will? Give me your wisdom in this moment. So we're to be people um, like that. And folks, that is how Paul keeps on keeping on. And that's how Paul keeps on burning brightly for Jesus Christ, that kingdom mindset. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, no, I believe that we are a church who wants to be like that, walking in that, in the days ahead. Amen. Right on. Well, why don't I pray for us then? Oh, God, thank you. I'm so thankful for, for the, the example of Paul. And Lord, I, I am thankful today that Paul was not a superhero. Paul did not have a faith that we don't have. Paul just, he just dared to trust you. He dared to believe. He, he dared to be guided by the Word of God, and yes, by the Spirit of God. And Father, we just confess that we need that as we move forward in our beloved Marvin, 
uh, goes in, into retirement from, from music ministry here. Lord, we need your wisdom to move forward. God, as, as we talk about things like discipleship and raising people up, God, we're, we're not going to find what we need on a bookshelf, well, unless you guide us to that book. Father, we surrender ourselves to you, and we thank you that you have never failed. You have never let your church down, and we don't want to be a church that runs on manpower. We really want to be filled and, and guided by your Spirit. We want to be lit up with the love of Jesus Christ. God, we want to see you transform form lives. So we bless you, and we say yes to you today in that. In Jesus' name, amen.